Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at ren-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. This morning, we're going to continue on in a series that we started uh, week one for us as a church called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. You know, a lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus, but what did Jesus say about Jesus? That's what we're going to be uh, discovering together. We're walking through seven statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John, the I Am statements of Jesus. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus uh, says, I am the gate, or your translation may say, I am the door, and it's found in John 10, if you want to start turning there. Before we read that, um, I've noticed that I often uh, assume, I make the assumption that God thinks like I think and that he feels like I feel. And every now and then something will, will happen, I'll, I'll read something, somebody will say something, and I'll realize, you know, I've, I've, I've been a little bit off in how I thought about God. Um, there's this passage in Joshua, in Joshua 5. If you remember uh, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, maybe you learned that song as a child and you know the story of Joshua marching around that city, right? Seven days in a row, the seventh day, all the, the walls came tumbling down, if you know the old song. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a, an occurrence, this, this fascinating exchange that happens right before the Battle of Jericho when Joshua's walking towards towards uh, Jericho. He's approaching the city with the Israelites. It says that he sees a man with a sword drawn. And he approaches that man and he asks him, are you with us or are you with our enemies? He's basically asking, are you one of us or are you one of them? And, and the, the man responds, neither. I have come as the commander of the Lord's armies. And Joshua falls face down because he realized, okay, whoa, whoa, this is either this is the mighty angel, like some scholars believe this was a mighty angel, or, or the Lord himself. And so he falls down before this, this angelic or, or, or perhaps even the Lord himself face down. That exchange has always fascinated me because when he asks, are you one of us or are you one of us? them, the response was neither. Joshua had led the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land because God told him to. He was doing exactly what God had said, and yet when he asked, are you one of us or one of them, he said, neither. Now, here's the context of what we're going to read this morning. Jesus is in one of his exchanges with the Pharisees, and if you know much about the New Testament or have read the Gospels, you'll know that some of his harshest words, his greatest um, uh, conflicts were with the Pharisees of that time, and so that's the context of what's happening here is that there 
is a, are you one of us or not kind of moment happening for Jesus and the Pharisees. So with that in mind, let's read this in John 10, starting in verse 1. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Now that word thief would be like someone who comes in uh, craft, it's a crafty, cunning, uh, secretly, and robber would be a picture of violence, like uh, someone who's going to uh, violently assault a shepherd or a gatekeeper. So that's the picture that he's painting, a thief or a robber. Verse two, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech. Bring us in, look, hey, he's giving them a figure of speech, right? We know it's a parable. He's using an earthly picture to explain a spiritual reality, and they're not getting it. Verse 7, Jesus said again, truly, your translation might say truly, truly. Now this would be an emphatic statement, like don't miss this, truly, truly, or the King James would say verily, verily. He says, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This is the word of the Lord. And so if you've been around the, the evangelical world and, and we talk about Pharisees, in your mind you think Pharisee equals bad, right? You know, we, we might label someone, oh, he's such a Pharisee, or they have a Pharisaical spirit, meaning there's, there's a legalistic thing about them, and we think, oh, that's bad, that's bad. But there's something I think that we need to understand about the Pharisees is that in this time period, these were actually highly respected people, um, there's a historian named Josephus that was from this time period. He lived right after Jesus, and he wrote about Jesus. So there's an overlapping period where he's writing about all these events. And from his writings, we begin to learn some things about the Pharisees. Uh, the, the, the term Pharisee would mean like set apart or distinct or distinguished that these guys um, maintained a simple lifestyle, right? They, they would have been a, a very minimalistic group of people. They were affectionate and harmonious in their dealings with others. They were warm people. They were especially respectful of their elders. They were quite influential throughout the land. These were the, the influencers, the, the movers and shakers of their day amongst the Jewish people. 
Josephus mentions that they had a belief in both divine sovereignty or fate, and they also believed in the human will, this ability to make decisions and choices. They they lived in the tension of sovereignty and, and, and choice that they refused to take oaths. Like they were so um, serious about God's will being done that they, they would not swear, they would not take an oath. It was like, no, 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 God's will be done, right? No oaths will be taken. They were considered the most accurate interpreters of the law. They would have had a very high view of scripture, right? And they had an oral law. And, and this is where Jesus begins to... Um, have his disagreements. They had a body of oral traditions that they um, had built around this original law of Moses. So God gives Moses that law on the mountain, right? And so what they did is like, they did not want to violate that law, so they began to pad it with other laws to protect the laws. And then laws to protect the laws that protect the laws. And they kept adding layer and layer of tradition. And so you see Jesus uh, butting heads with these guys over washing of hands and Sabbath regulations. And what has just happened in John 9 is that he healed a man born blind on the Sabbath day. And what they're saying is, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't fit our grid God doesn't move that way because in their minds, they're thinking God is one of us. He thinks like we think. He he feels like we feel. And we know how God works and how God doesn't work because we have his law and we have the laws that we've added to protect his laws. And surely God knows how passionate and how zealous we are for him. And so God is for us. He's one of us. And Jesus steps into the scene and he begins to challenge their view about who God is and how God works. Now, we see this in our day. We have, um, we have different ideas floating around about Jesus where, where we think that God is like us, where he feels like us. And, and, and some of these are a little bit humorous exaggerations, but I think you'll get the point. You sense this in, in kind of the Christian world, but there's the soft-spoken Jesus, right? Soft-spoken Jesus is, is gentle and warm and fuzzy, and, and he always teaches love, right? He's soft-spoken Jesus. Then we have rebellious Jesus, right? Jesus has a Harley Davidson, and he has sleeves on his arm, and he holds his fist up, and he's like, forget the establishment, man, right? That's the, the, the rebellious Jesus that some people think of Jesus that way. We have um, others. We have the judgmental Jesus. He's the watchdog, right? He's waiting for someone in culture to say something anti-Christian or anti-God, and he's going to shout them down on Twitter, right? He's going to get after them because they're wrong, right? He's watchdog, judgmental Jesus. We have too cool for church Jesus. I think that's one that's really, in my age group and younger, there's too cool for church Jesus. He's, he's hip. He's edgy, He's like, the local church is kind of dorky. Like, I'm not going to be a part of that, man. I'm, I'm too cool for church, right? I'm, I'm on the fringe, and, and he only has criticism for churches. 
He was too cool for church Jesus. We have chest hair Jesus, okay? If any of you remember Magnum P.I., the 80s, the, the shirts wide open, the chest hair was flowing. Some of you lived in that time period and you were there. Um, rebellion leading Jesus, this, this manly Jesus, right? You have chest hair Jesus. We have social justice Jesus. We have the Jesus that only cares. His, his only care was for the poor and for civil rights and for the environment, right? We have social justice Jesus. We have American Jesus and white Jesus and black Jesus and every other kind of thing under the sun because so many times we make him in our own image. We, we find some sort of scripture, some attribute about him that we really like, and that's it. And we begin to ignore the other attributes of Jesus, and we make a God in our own image, our own image where we say, he thinks like I think, and he feels like I feel. He's one of us. And like like this encounter with Joshua, I believe he steps in to the Pharisees and he steps into us and he says, neither, neither. My first point for us today is that Jesus is the authority, not us. The Pharisees thought of themselves as the gatekeepers. They thought, this is how it works. We're the gatekeepers. We're the protectors of what is holy and right and good. We're the gatekeepers. And when Jesus starts in verse 1 and he says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. And I think if they really understood what he was saying, they would say, Amen. Amen. Jesus, you're coming in here and you're doing it some other way. It doesn't fit our grid and we know that God is for us, that God's with us, that he thinks like we think and he feels like we feel and you're coming in and you're totally doing this wrong. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You're not the gate. I am the gate. He's claiming authority to say, you're not the one who's going to show everyone exactly how I am. I will reveal myself as I truly am. I am the gate. He is the authority, not us. And let me tell you, that's really good news. That's really good news, that Jesus is the authority and not us. I, uh, I found this quote from Anne Lamont, she said, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. You see, this following Jesus thing was always meant to be about us being conformed into his image. And yet so often we've tried to conform him into our image. This... Um, author that writes for the, for the relevant magazine said it this way. I thought this was awesome. She said, the beauty of the incarnation is that Jesus resembles all of us. The incarnation meaning God coming in flesh, like God himself inhabiting a human body. So the beauty of that is that Jesus resembles all of us while resembling none of us. That tension is the secret to really knowing Jesus. 
Though his humanity is the key to our salvation, the moment that we make his humanity into our own image rather than make our humanity into his, we make room for idolatry, division, exclusion, and even oppression to gain a foothold. It's really ugly when we start making God in our own image. Do you know how Hitler talked Germany into a holocaust? He took scriptures from the Old Testament and he twisted them and created an entire narrative telling them that we are the Christ light of the world. He talked the entire world into a war with twisted scripture. Did you know that? The most destructive God that exists is the one that we make in our own image. It's the most dangerous God. And the good news is this, that he's not a God in our image. Jesus is the authority, not us. Verse two, let's read on. He says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper uh, opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. And I love this. He begins to talk about the voice. He calls his own sheep by name, by name, and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of a stranger. You see, this voice of Jesus is an awakening voice. My second point is this. Jesus is the awakening voice. He is the authority, not us, and he is the awakening voice. Um, in World War I, there were some Turkish soldiers that um, tried to steal some sheep. They were on a hillside near Jerusalem, and uh, it was the middle of the night. The shepherd had fallen asleep, and these soldiers snuck up to the camp where the sheep were around, and they began to kind of herd the sheep away from where the shepherd was, trying to steal them back towards their camp. And um, the, the shepherd in the commotion wakes up and he realizes what's happening. And so he, he knows like there's too many of them. Like I cannot take my sheep back by force. And so here's what he does. He gives his unique call. Now every shepherd would have their own unique call. If you've ever known anybody that works with, with like animals and agriculture stuff and, and you see them out with like certain, I don't know, pigs. Some of you know this better than I do, but they have like certain ways that they call and, and the, the cows or whatever come in and they know it's feeding time, right? And so they all come in. Well, the shepherd gives this unique call and as these Turkish shoulders are, are trying to drive them away, they all immediately turned right back around and came back to the shepherd, right? Point one for the shepherd, zero for the Turkish soldiers. It's really awesome moment for him when all the sheep came back. And here's the thing about God's voice. God's voice has the power to overturn a life's worth of wrong thinking, false beliefs, false pursuits. The voice of God is an awakening voice that has a way of calling us out of wherever we're going astray. 
And that's really good news. If you're a parent here and you have kids that you're worried about them going down the wrong way, that they're gonna start hearing the voice of some other shepherd that would say, no, no, come this way, come do this, and you get that, that sick feeling in your stomach of like, what if they go the wrong way? Here's the good news for you today. The voice of God is bigger than any other voice that could ever call them somewhere else. If you have a family member or a parent or, or a, a grandparent that you think, man, they're just going the wrong way, they're, they're following the wrong voice, the good news for us today is this, that the voice of God is an awakening voice and it's bigger and it's better and it's so much more powerful than any other voice that sheep hear it and they turn right back around. I don't know about you, I don't know if you came to the Lord at a young age or when that happened, maybe you're still investigating Jesus. But here's what I know, if you have come to know the Lord, what happened is that you heard somebody talking about him, whether that was a a pastor or a, a family member or a friend or a song you heard or somebody told you something about God, but it wasn't their voice you heard. There was a voice beyond their voice that called you and you sensed it in your being and you know, this is it. This is the one. This is what I meant for. The voice of God is an awakening voice. And Jesus moves on to this second figure of speech. He he tries another approach and he says to them again, truly or truly, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Now real quick, he's not saying in time, our Old Testament is full of people used by God who led the people in good things from Abraham and Moses and David and Ruth and all the people that we could point back to. He's talking about those who um, claim a precedence who claim a superiority, who exalt themselves over his teaching. Let me tell you, anyone who gives you any teaching that exalts itself as being the precedence or superior over what God has revealed in his word, that person is a thief and a robber. They are going to do you harm. They will. He says, everyone who came before me, who, who claims superiority, who has precedence over my teaching are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Everyone say abundance, abundance. One more time, that was terrible. Abundance. He's come to give life in abundance. I've taught this passage before. I've heard lots of pastors teach this passage in a sense that the thief is Satan, right? It's, it's demons, it's Satan that have come to steal, kill, and destroy. And while I don't think that that's 
false that we know Satan exists, that he's at work in the world, and that he's absolutely out to destroy and deceive. But what Jesus is talking about in context here is this, a, a false belief system of people who said God is like us and he thinks like us. That's what he's talking about here. And the thief, that thief steals and kills and destroys. But Jesus, the authority has given life and life in abundance. But what we can't miss is this. When Jesus says, I am the gate, he's saying that he's the way in. He's the way in. Jesus is the way into the sheepfold. What's the sheepfold represent? It's his people from all times, in all places, for all ages. The sheepfold is everyone who belongs to him. The way in is not a way in, not one of many ways in, not one of, of multiple paths up the proverbial mountain. He says, I am the way in. I think in our, in our day and age, in our culture, if we were to find somebody on the street or at the coffee shop or maybe somebody that you see at the water cooler at work, and you would say, hey, man, what do you think happens when you die? You're probably going to get one of two responses. You might get this response of, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe nothing happens when we die. This second response that you might get is this. Um, well, you know, I, I believe in heaven, and I think that good people go to heaven, and I think that bad people don't go to heaven. Maybe there's a hell. Maybe they go to hell. You know, there's these ideas, and, and the prevailing mindset would be that if I want to go to heaven, that I need to do good. Right, my, I'm hoping that maybe God will see that I was sincere, I was a sincere person, I, I followed my heart and I tried to do good things and so hopefully my good works will outweigh my bad works and so when I get there before God, he'll say, come on in. That's what I'm hoping for. The problem with both of those answers is that they're absolutely contradictory to what Jesus just said. He says, I am the way in. And anyone who comes through me, what's the word he uses? Will be saved. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to think maybe. We can know the way in is this, by believing in him. As Jesus taught, repent and believe. What that means is turn around. The way you're going is killing you. It's destroying you. Turn around. Come to me. Put your faith in me. Believe in me. And you absolutely will be saved. And the beauty of it is this. It's not just a salvation of when you die in the heavenly by and by, but it's a right now abundant life. It begins today. It begins now. He's the way in 
I don't know if you've ever been locked out. I, I'm kind of the guy that always forgets things, so I forget keys and wallets occasionally. And if you've ever been locked out of your car or locked out of your house or at work, if you have those self-locking doors, right, you go out the door. I, I, I know you live in a dorm. I remember being a college student. And if you forgot your, um, your, your student ID and you went outside those doors and then you got locked out and you're like banging on the doors, you know, in the middle of the night hoping somebody will come down and will let you in. That's that panicky feeling of like, oh, I gotta get in, I gotta get in. Have you ever felt that way? Because you know, if, if you're a homeowner, it, it's like $3,000 to get your house rekeyed, right? So you don't wanna get locked out of that thing. And so this good news for us today is that there's a way in, right? You don't have to go through life checking every little door and every window trying to figure out a way in. But Jesus said, look, no, no, it's, I'm, I'm proclaiming this for you, for everyone. It, let, let it be known. Let, it, it's declared to you. There's a way in. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to panic. It's Jesus. Paul write, writes this. He says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. I'm gonna close with verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. About, I don't know, 15 plus years ago, it's been many years, uh, my family took me on a, a vacation to San Miguel de Allende. Have y'all ever heard of San Miguel de Allende? It's beautiful. It's an artsy old town. There's multiple art universities. People come from all over the world into this place in Mexico. It's out in the mountainous regions. Just gorgeous area. And the city has um, this, you know, old cathedral and the old town square, cobblestone streets. Like it feels like Europe. It's gorgeous. And um, I remember we were driving in the, the, the taxi to get to the place that we're staying and we're bumping along those cobblestone roads, right? And we got up to this kind of unending adobe wall. It's just this wall that kept going and you'd see a door and a door and a door and every door was beautiful, like old weathered wood and had been painted vibrant colors. These just gorgeous doors, almost like, like handmade gates. And, and we got up to this door and it looked cool, but it was like all the other doors. And yet when we opened that door, it was like this beautiful courtyard. There's a pool over here, and there was um, this kind of garden landscaped area all around. There was this amazing house inside of it. All this was inside this gate, this just wall, and this one gate, and you went in, and there's this beautiful garden on the inside. You see, there's a garden on the other side of the gate of Jesus. It is a good, good place. There is deep, deep life found in Jesus, and he's offering it to you today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.